Yo, what's up, everybody? On this episode of the Bullpen Podcast, it seems like me and Crypto Arnie talk about everything under the sun, from the reality of VCs within this current bear market to trading bots, even about future and Forex trading. I'm telling you, don't want to miss it. Let's do it. Oh, wait. One more thing before we get to the podcast. In this podcast, The Crypto Bully, any co-host and his guests do not give financial or investment advice and encourage you to do your own research on all topics mentioned. Do not invest into this market what you can't afford to lose. I bet I know what you're thinking. Is this really Morgan Freeman? Well, unfortunately not. But Lyndon thought it would be a good idea to use such a soothing voice for the legal mumbo-jumbo to smooth things over. Now, let's do it. Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Play ball! the bullpen podcast number nine the crypto bully wow <laughs> he makes it look so easy and that ball has left the stadium hey what's up everybody i want to welcome everyone to episode 21 of the bullpen podcast powered by ecc I'm your host, The Crypto Bully, also known as Mr. Crypto Carlton. And here on this podcast, I like to get into the bullpen with some of the most interesting and influential individuals in the blockchain and cryptocurrency space to pick their brains about their opinions and see what they have going on. So today, I'm actually super excited to be talking to this guy. Recently caught wind of him, been reading through um, a lot of information that he, he has, and I, I, I want to talk about a lot of different stuff. Let's just say that. This gentleman, you know, <clears throat> very knowledgeable from what I can see from what I've read of his work. And uniquely enough, he operates one of the largest and currently active crypto communities with a combined membership of 65,000 crypto enthusiasts and engagement of 6.5 million a month across all platforms, including mailing lists, community meetups, events, and stuff like that. Again, super excited to have him on. And without further ado, how you doing, Crypto Arnie? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for the introduction, man. Yeah, yeah, no problem, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on to the show. Literally, like I'm literally impressed. <laughs> <laughs> don't be, don't be. It's- yeah, one of the, one. Of the, I mean, it's, I can just tell one of the first things I did was read an article you just wrote most recently. It's called The Death of the ICO Market, What's Next for 2019? That article, let me tell you how I know I loved it. I have this thing. I hate reading like longer articles. Um, and I, I feel like I have to have this kind of a setup in my mind, you know, that it, it feels shorter than anything. I enjoy reading that so much. <laughs> like, and I love it. The main reason why I love it is because you talk mainly about ICOs and things like that. And you address a lot of things within that space. But what you say throughout that whole article is completely applicable to pretty much all of blockchain and crypto. 
from transparency to use of influencers to valuations, like all of that stuff is so true. But before I even talk too much about that, to anybody who may be unfamiliar with you, why don't you go ahead and give them a little background just to a little bit about who you are and kind of how you got into the blockchain and cryptocurrency space? Yeah, sure. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to I'm going to give people a bit of a background about uh, what I used to do, because actually I haven't really talked much about what I used to do before crypto. Maybe that's actually more interesting than now. But I got politicized at the age of about 16, 17, right, through some of the stuff the government was doing to local areas in London. So I became highly politicized uh, at that age around housing issues. From there, I joined several organizations at a young age. Bear in mind, I'm from a single parent, mother background, poor as hell, war on benefits, right? I probably at that point in my life read two books uh, just from school. Like I had, I would say a bad education, but I was very smart, but just lazy. And through that, I got really interested in all kinds of stuff around gender politics, economics, uh, anti-racism, gender, uh, anti-fascism history. And I became politically active in my area across London, which then expanded out into different countries, involved with trade unions, involved in trying to stop the closure of hospitals, accident emergency centers, uh, trying to fight for unionization and, and, and fight for people on something we call zero-hour contracts. I've been in, fortunate or unfortunately, um, the front page of the Daily Mail, which is the biggest newspaper in the UK, twice. I've been in a Vice documentary. I have penned articles on you know, social cleansing justification for the Guardian, Independent Telegraph. So that's my background. I was doing that every day, unpaid. I thought being paid for this stuff was uh, not principled. And I was doing it every day until the age of about 24, 25. Uh, where I then got in, in trouble with the state uh, because we were basically mobilizing 25, 30, 50,000 people onto the streets in London over various issues. And uh, that we had a very close eye on top of us, uh, myself and the other organizers, uh, to the point where we kind of slipped up one day on, a, on, a, on an event and it did get a bit, a little bit fractious uh, with some riot cops. Uh, well, you know, they, they, they take it on the chin. They're pretty good with this kind of stuff. They love it. But yeah, I was on bail for. 22 months as a political activist with a, a political charge, uh, which was kind of what documented what happened was I got into a little bit of a 50 cuffs uh, with a window. <laughs> oh, wow. At a police station. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, wow. At a police station. Wow. Inside the police station, yeah. Um, so from there, really, I'd been in the political movement. I'd been involved in the Arab Spring in Egypt, in, in the Middle East, in stuff happening across Europe with the, the radicalization of Europe. Uh, and I, I, I realized at that point I needed to take a break and, and let the new generation take over. And obviously, I, I was told specifically by the authorities if I continued, it would not end well for me. At that point, they had my personal mobile number. They would call me up regularly. So anyway, fast forward a year or so, I had to get a job. And I was like, okay, how do I find a job without basically getting rid of that creativity and that passion I have for being free as a human being, right? Uh, and ironically turned to trading the stock market and taught myself how to trade the stock market over about nine month period to where I was uh, actually, we say, we say green, which is uh, at least above a 60% accuracy on trades. I employed a strategy called uh, momentum trading. The US market opens at 9am, but in my time, it's 2pm, which is perfect for me since I'm up at 5am in the morning. So it's kind of just wake up, get ready for a two o'clock open and trade. And uh at the same time, my dad had an Ethereum mining farm. So he was mining Ethereum and he, he kind of liked the idea of cryptos. And I had actually been around the early 
insemination of the cryptocurrency back in 2009 and 10 around the Occupy London movement, where you had bankers from the Bank of England, RBS, Barclays, NatWest, actually having street debates with crypto anarchists and anarcho-capitalists and, and all this stuff, debating the use of the technology. But because of this financial speculation element to it, I kind of just pushed to the side and said, look, this isn't going to be something that's going to proliferate and liberate the lives of ordinary working people in this country or anywhere, because it's going to be a financial speculative tool. But I, I always thought in the back of my mind, actually, the blockchain is really interesting because you could essentially reorganize society and distribute resources or the means of resources and that kind of thing through blockchain. And it's probably been about one paper I've ever seen from an Italian syndicate university way back, which has been removed from all the journals about using the blockchain for actual society, like non, no financial speculation, no profit, nothing, just actually using it for a real purpose. And that's, I think, the kernel of why I'm interested in crypto is, is actually after all this financial speculation, this is really what the tech should be used for. And this, this, is, this is a next level thing. This is something that poses a, fi- a significant fi- a risk to the current economic system we live in. But in the meantime, I mean, uh, I got involved in crypto. We're doing analysis for ICOs, which would then in turn send the research we did to hedge funds or VCs, ironically. And then uh, because they used to give us allocation in these projects, we used to basically get our friends in. That turned into a bigger syndic- syndicates now, over seven th- several thousand members. And uh, we started branching out to connect to crypto VCs, funds, even institutional funds, family offices, uh, the biggest companies in the space, banks, market makers, whatever you name it. There's a kind of top layer to this to this game. And uh, they all know each other. So that's where we're at today. Obviously, we're in a bear market. Wow. <laughs> that, was a, that was definitely an interesting backstory. And that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Man, that's that's awesome. That really is amazing. Uh, to come from all of that uh, single parent household to see where you're at now. And I can see definitely like you have a passion for this that extends further than the money. For me, it's evident in your writing. It's evident in your Telegram group, like it's it's there, and that's what I love about about what I do with these podcasts, right? Is finding those people, having conversations with those people, and I couldn't agree with you more. You know, it is it's the blockchain, the technology behind this is completely life changing and altering, and can change a lot of things. Let me be the first to say on this podcast, at least, uh, thank you. I super appreciate the you know putting in the time that you do, the effort that you do to keep people informed, inform uh, people correctly, because you know there's a lot of news out here. Um, there's a lot of craziness out here on crypto Twitter and all over the place, you know, and to run into those people who, you know, really care and really try to push out quality content. It's sad to say, but it, it seems almost kind of hard to find. It is hard to find. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, genuinely, thank you. I, I really appreciate it, man. And no again, going back, I mean, just just looking at your the article that you wrote, you hit on so many things that are so important to both the ICO world. Um, you know, you talk a lot about VCs again, you talk about transparency, influencers, valuations, things like that. It's so many things that I feel like it really takes for a person to really understand and move quote unquote safely within the cryptocurrency and blockchain world and things like that. But just going a little bit more into that, right? ICOs, obviously, I feel like that's, that's the thing that a lot of people are talking about. They're like, okay, you know, we had the huge ICO run, you know, 2017 and things like that. And it seemed like People were hitting numbers, and you talk about valuations too. People were hitting numbers that were just insane. Like it was crazy. 
And you talked about a lot of that in the article as well. But like, how do you how do you feel about the current state of ICOs? Like, what do you think? Do you think you think it's 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 like null and void now? This thing needs to be reevaluated. Is STO going to be that that next thing that, you know, investors and look for just for that, you know, the safety or, you know, how do you feel about it all? I wrote the article because those kind of four points that I talk about were at the forefront of my mind. Like we've been through the last two months of just holding on to our seats with the listing of a couple of high-profile projects, which to be fair, in the bull, mar- bull run or bull market, would have done extremely well. Like the development companies behind them, the, comp- the partnerships they have, generating revenue or not generating revenue, like they have all the hallmarks of a great project. Yet, because of the market, they have performed terribly and investors have lost lost money. And I think that just... It was important to say it because there's still a bunch of people who you know know what they're doing, right? They're very well experienced. They have capital, but for some reason, they still have this urge to to try and get into these high in high demand pro- projects with. I, w- I don't even want to say famous influencers, but like great A star teams, companies behind it. You know, some of the companies had Series A rounds already with real co- companies, like Samsung or IMDi behind them, and it just needs to be said that. I mean, we even did an interview one project, I won't name, but they put in a mechanism which penalized you if you sold on the first day of listing, right? Up to 65% of the smart contract would burn those tokens as a fee, basically. And it was some kind of anti-VC dumping mechanism. And yet, even then, and the hard cap was like single-digit million, right? It still did not go up on the exchange. And I think that is just the epitome of the state of the market, there is no buying pressure. There is no legitimate buying pressure anywhere near sizable to counteract the amount of investors getting in these projects and thinking that they might have a 1.2x or a, a 1.5x return on the exchange. So in, in summary, I think that ICOs won't be dead forever and there will always be a u- use for a utility. But the use behind a utility is not going to be valued in, in the tens of millions anymore. And I really think that the 10 million figure I put in the article is at the extremely high end. Like the use behind the utility is, is that companies should be buying the use of these platforms or products now instead of us waiting for it to be developed and then five years down the line, maybe they use it because it will get superseded too quickly. So I think at least for 2019, I'm expecting Bitcoin to go under 3K. I have been looking for that target for a year. I am short in Bitcoin. I think we're going to get it. It's testing lower lows all the time. The volume is weakening. And I know of family offices, for whatever reason, liquidating a lot of Bitcoin market selling, obviously to drive the price down. And this is first-hand information. So I expect the next year to be bearish. Now, on STOs, I've had the privilege of getting private demos to many STO listing platforms in different jurisdictions. And therefore, we've been able to do this like analysis, right? Where we say, okay, because it's in the US, it's a strong jurisdiction. Top companies will look to do, and if, if they do look for it, an STO listing in the US because it makes sense versus, say, an STO platform in Liechtenstein or Malta, where they're pretty much known to have extremely lax KYC ML policies in place. And to be frankly, to be frank with you, uh, the banks are dirty and they're all money laundering. Like uh, a reputable company generating tens, hundreds or billions in revenue a year will not do their STOs in Liechtenstein, nor will these platforms ever get access to Western markets. This is just one metric 
that we've been able to develop by looking at over like 30 STO listing platforms and a couple of exchanges, STO exchanges specifically, in the pipeline. But I am not as bullish as everyone else uh, seems to be jumping on the STO bandwagon saying it's the next big thing because there are some significant issues. And I think the, the most obvious one is the fact that retail investors may be excluded in bulk from these offerings due to regulation. And retail, everything I've seen in the last couple of years in this space is, is just showing that most of the capital in this space is retail. I really, especially with the ICOs, I think it's 95% retail. And, you know, if retail investors can't get into something, the institutions that leave secondary buyers are then going to feel very uneasy about getting into an asset where they may be the only ones holding it. So there are many problems with STOs, also lack of liquidity. Regulation is still not clear in each jurisdiction. And these platforms are launching without us even having classification of STO as an asset. There's no tax classification. There isn't a, a way to be competitive. There isn't a way to say an STO is more efficient tax-wise because then you're impinging on another kind of asset out there, like a bond or something. And so the way the regulators are treating it is just level playing field. So really, all I'm seeing STO is basically a smart contract with a closed mission system basically giving a company full governance control of it and maybe making the the process of raising equity issuance and the control like stock splits or paying dividends much more simplified and therefore that saving them a percent, right? A certain percent. But as some kind of new revolutionary thing that's going to change the stock market, I really have my doubts. Honestly, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, all, all of the stuff you said, you hit really good points, but you know, I really think it is Everything you just said goes to show how still very new all of this is. It's, you know, it's a very, you know, barely over 10 years old financial market and technology. And a lot of people are starting to try to figure out like what is really going on? Like what the fuck is happening? You know, how are we going to manage this? You know, is it going to be by regulation? Is it going to be self-regulation? Is it going to be, you know, things like that? So it's like when I think about that, when I think about ICOs, when I think about STOs, whatever the case, right? It does always come back to that. And actually what you said, one one thing you said was a really good point is the one thing that I thought about. I was like, okay, SEOs make sense because of the fact that they, you know, maybe they, they are more secure than the ICO and it's a way to basically self-regulate in a way to where, you know, VCs and investors feel more protected. But, but like you said, for the average retail investor, where does that leave them? You know, a lot of people, like you said, that you see in the space are retail investors. So it's like if that switch is flipped, then it's like, what's going to happen? Because I'm sure the market's going to react in some type of way. But, you know, where does that leave everybody else? So I, I do think that is do, do think that is the case. And then another thing that you brought up, which is a really good point, is just the, the sentiment of the market, period. We're in a bear market. So like you said, you have projects that have solid teams, solid experience. And just because of the market, they can't do numbers. They can't do anything. So it, it kind of, it almost feels stagnant. And I mean, and it's funny, right? Because when I think about that, even from all different perspectives, when I even look at engagement of people like Andreas Antonopoulos or, you know, individuals who create content, the curve of their engagement pretty much goes with the flow of the market. So, you know, I feel like that 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 speaks a lot. It does. It speaks volumes. And I feel like it'll definitely be interesting over time as more time passes, more experience, things kind of get sorted out to figure out like, okay, 
what direction are we really moving in? You know, how are things really going to look five or 10 years from now? But I think it, it is. It's, it's too soon to, to tell right now. It's just so many things that need to be addressed. And that isn't like set in stone, essentially. So it's like we still have a lot of things to do. So I don't think, even though I'm shorting the market, right, I'm absolutely certain that this is just a market cycle. Every market has a cycle. And we're just going through a cycle. And it will come back. The question is how long and how protracted is this bear market? And I think the, lo- the longer we take to hit a bottom, the more, basically, the longer it takes to recover. Uh, and that could be a really protracted period. I think if we don't hit the lows this year, we'll probably be looking at a three to four year bear market if that capitulation doesn't happen. I mean, I think the most optimistic outlook is we start to kind of break out of a sideways movement into this year and recover. But the technology in itself is still revolutionary and businesses will, will adopt it. You may even see the fact that we've been, as consumers and, and citizens of countries, fighting over privacy, rights to control our data, for example, GDPR regulation, so on and so forth. Everything is pointing to a more technologically savvy society, populations more interested in their data, uh, in more democracy, in more decentralization, in horizontal organization of businesses, for example. And the blockchain lets you do that. And uh, and I think also the, the fact that blockchain itself is a massive threat to centralized organizations like banks means they will have to remodel themselves somehow because we're essentially circumventing the gatekeepers of fiat. And this doesn't, this doesn't make any sense because countries and governments need to control the flow of fiat, the inflation. They print it when they're in, you know, in the bad situations. And, you know, if less people start using fiat and more people start using digital currencies, they will have to adopt, uh, adopt into it. The question is, you know, do they adopt something we use like Bitcoin or ETH or whatever or something else? Or do they just use the technology and turn all fiat into some kind of blockchain currency? Uh, and, I always tell people who are evangelists, because I have a political background, if you want society to adopt crypto in the sense we understand it, you'll have to fight for it because the government at every single point will try to co-opt technology and repurpose it towards what they've just been doing anyway. So it's not inherent that crypto or blockchain will take over whatever industry or the way society accounts units of value. I agree. Yeah, I think it is. It's like a war almost. Yeah, it's like, you know, you do have to fight for it. You know, I don't think it's something that's like, oh, okay, crypto's here, blockchain's here, and government's like, all right, let's just let this happen. Yeah, probably not going to happen like that. So uh, history doesn't warrant that, and I just have a feeling that it's not going to (laughs) happen. So it is something you have to fight for, and it's something you have to, and that's the thing, another thing is the people who need to be properly educated about everything, too, which obviously, you know, there's a lot of noise that happens. A lot more noise happens probably during bull markets. But, you know, again, you know, to get people to know, enough to properly be able to evaluate something that's in front of them. I feel like that's important. And that's why, like I was saying, that's why I I thank you so much. Because when we have individuals like you who are, who are not just pushing random information and gossip and things like that, like that article, literally, and I, I, this is what I thought when I read that article, I've always been a, a business savvy person. I've always had an interest in business and investing. I have a, a background in investing futures and things like that. Right. But when I read through that and the amount of info I was learning about VCs in the crypto space, 
that completely opened up an area of interest that necessarily wasn't, it, it's not like it wasn't in my mind, but it pushed it to the forefront. And it really made me interesting in learning more about that. And that's what I love about people like you and what you do is that I feel like you, you do, you are, you're the one that's fighting for it. You're the one that's saying like, yo, like, you know, read this, check this out. This is something that's real. This is something that's happening right now. And where, where might we be headed because of this? So you know, it's, it's so much stuff going on right now and so many things going on with the climate, with the bear marketing brand. Again, I agree with you when it comes to the price. I feel like I, and I've been doing literally the same thing. I have literally been waiting for Bitcoin to go sub 3K. I have literally, literally just waiting for that moment. People ask me that all the time, right? A lot of people, you know, I get comments all the time. Oh, you know, everybody's sad and, uh, the bear market and things are down. And it's just like, I'm like, I do. I feel the same way. I feel like this is a market cycle. So it's like, it's crazy. I don't understand how people, you know, think that stuff is just going to go up forever. If Bitcoin would have kept soaring past 20K the way it got there, I would have been extremely worried. I was getting nervous. I was nervous at 20K when we got close to it. I was just like, man, I'm like, okay. When we got past 10K is when I got nervous. And then everything after that was just kind of like, all right, what the hell is about to happen? So. You know, I, I think it's a lot, uh, definitely a lot that people need to learn, a lot that people need to learn. Again, so much stuff going on. Um, and actually, you know, it's something else that I just thought about that just popped into my head that I want to ask you, right? The market right now, we have a bear market, of course, right? The ICO market is seen to calm down, right? You have projects that seem to have, you know, liquidity problems as far as, you know, if they raise money during um, ICOs, uh, maybe they didn't li- liquidate correctly. Or like you said, um, you talked specifically about this actually in your article. You were talking about how, ICOs have a lack of management when it comes to those, you know, treasury management and things like that to know how to properly deal with those funds that are raised so that they continue to move forward in a market like such. My question to you is, one, do you see that changing based on your your firsthand experience? Do you, do you feel like projects get that or understand that? And then secondly, does this open up a door of opportunity for projects that are maybe more community-based and don't rely on funds in order to create their technology and to push out their product or service? I mean, I think from everything I've seen, the reason why projects don't take portfolio management out is because they're arrogant. And there's no other kind of point to pin, really. It's the fact that they often feel, and it's often the CEOs or CFOs, feel that they're smart enough to manage the funds uh, as they go. And obviously, it's all good uh, well and good, obviously, doing that on the way up, right? But if you raise funds in a specific period of time and the the value of that asset drops 50%, well, you've just lost 50% of the fiat value of your raise. And um, obviously, these people aren't traders. So what do they go and do? They hope and pray this asset recovers. Say, for example, like from ETH around $600, right? It's 300 they're holding on and praying to dear God that this recovers. And they're trying to like maybe not spend as much money as possible because they have to liquidate this stuff into fiat. And they're liquidating ETH at the lowest price possible. So therefore, they're crystallizing a loss. And then what happens is it breaks $100 and they capitulate is, is the ultimate the, the summary of it. They capitulate at the bottom and they market sell for probably 20% of the value it was at they raise. And obviously, this is an extreme example because we've just hit kind of lows recently in the last few months. Um, and I, I think it's it's a kind of it's it's just it's just arrogance because you know, 
CEOs are aware of these services that they can employ, right? Professional portfolio management. But because of the price of it, they don't feel they want to pay that price. It's a bit, it's, a, it's the same thing, right? As it's exactly the same as a company that doesn't want to pay a top smart contract auditing company to make sure there are no bugs and vulnerabilities in their smart contract, right? Because they just feel like, ah, uh, it's a cost and, you know, they don't, they don't really want to pay 50K to 100K. 100K is like the top range for the one of the best company, best in class companies for our audit, right? They feel like they can get on without it. And then what happens? Like Spank Chain the other day, you know, half a year ago got hacked, right? And I think they lost like 50K. But if they had just taken out an audit, like one of the mid-level auditors, it would have cost them less in the fiat they lost or the value they lost plus reputational damage. And that's just like, it's just about being smart and understanding you need to take out all these backstops. So in, in the event that the worst case does happen, you're kind of covered because you, you spent the money on it. But yeah, I mean, projects are, are liquidating at the bottom and it's pretty bad because it means that they no longer have that kind of one to five year runway they kind of planned for. And they've now got a like one to one and a half slash two year runway, which isn't, re- isn't really great because it means you'll need to force the company somehow to generate revenue by end of year one, start to generate it, generate it. And for most of these blockchain startups, that's pretty much impossible because a lot of them are white papers. And that's that's very true. I can only imagine how many ICOs got caught in that crossfire, raised a crazy amount of funds, and then a hit with this bear market. And you again made another good point: arrogance. I've I've seen that firsthand myself. And it's just like for me, the way I naturally operate is I'm thinking like, okay, especially if I have a large lump sum of money, if I don't know something, I am not one gonna have the arrogance to be like, oh, I don't need any help. Secondly, I'm not cutting any corners. So the first thing I would think raising that much money is that we need to get the appropriate person in here in order to handle this to ensure that there is longevity within this project. And if something happens or goes wrong, it's and we fail, it's not due to poor money management. Cause you know, cause it is, it's that's to me, that's crazy. Like at one point in time to think like, oh, okay, we raised $30 million worth of Bitcoin. And now it's like, all right, so 60% of that is gone. Hmm, what are we going to do? And then you see, I mean, we've already seen certain projects, you know, what was it, uh, Ethereum Classic, to where they were just like, hey, so we got to go. They tried to raise money, but uh, they couldn't secure enough. Yeah, and they couldn't. And it's it's sad to see that go. But I think that if that's not a great lesson to learn from, watching other people go through it, even that, literally pulling from a quote directly out of your article, you said, as long as there is no change in culture, there will be no progression made, period. So it's like, you know, insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Do something different. You got to. You have to. If you really want to see this space grow and you want to see this turn into something that's meaningful, you ha- we have to do something different than what we've been seeing. Otherwise, we run the risk of everything potentially being gone. Yeah. I mean, there's a guy in the crypto space somewhere on Telegram who's actually tracking the wallets of uh, these ICOs. Uh, I'll try and put that in a, in a link in the description or something. I'll try and find the name. But that's actually really interesting because... You saw a lot of them. There were like over 30 ICOs that you would have known the name of starting to liquidate entire parts or chunks of their race uh, at the at the bottom, which was just shocking. It's just like, man, yeah, at least 
don't liquidate the whole thing. You're already at the you're already at the bottom, right? You, how worse can it get? I mean, your company's not really going to survive much longer anyway in the state. But liquidate what you need to cover cash to cash flow, right, of your business, and then just wait, just wait for the market to recover. The only alternative which I have seen happen is now some of these projects are selling equity to investors, to angel investors. So obviously they're trying to raise cash for a Series A, and that's to try and patch up the massive hole in there in their sheets. Yep. And I have seen that. Yep. I've definitely seen that, seen that taking hold. I get offered it all the time, man. And I look at the Excels, I'm like, dude, just scribbled some numbers in this Excel based on some imaginary amount of users and then said, okay, per user will make X amount of revenue. I'm like, this is, this is just fictitious. Like you've got no marketing strategy, no marketing budget. You don't have the professionals in place. You haven't even identified your market. This is all due to the proliferation of capital in this space. It's just way too easy to raise money. And you have companies and projects that shouldn't have raised money, raising money. Uh, and obviously, unfortunately, the investors are going to take the hit. Totally agree. Again, going to, and I, I definitely have to say this, again, going to another quote directly out of your, your article that you said. This this was, and it's funny, because when I read this, for me, this hit home. Because I think this was one of the first things that I, when it was like that, oh shit moment where I was like, okay, this is really what's happening. Is that in an article you said today, there has been some complexity and sophistication added to the project proposition. But in reality, many projects are recycled from past ideas. It's important that investors know that there are development companies that are effectively reselling blockchain tech, such as smart contracts, wallets, platforms, websites, and so on. People that need to understand to read that that one little section, if you don't take any of the amazing information you put in that article, that one section right there is so true and can completely change the, change the perspective of somebody who's looking to invest in a project. People have to realize like what's really out here. What what who who's really behind the scenes? What are developers really doing? Like there's so like it's not as simple as many would want it to seem. Or is I feel like a lot of people are very hopeful, but in a way to where it's almost like dangerous. Like for example, I've had plenty of conversations with experienced blockchain devs. Man, developing blockchain is no fucking joke. It is not that is not simple by any means. And one of the first things I had, the one of the first conversations I had with a blockchain dev, he was like, "Look, I'm gonna tell you this right now." He's like, I've been doing this a long time. A lot of this shit happening out here, a lot of this development is complete and utter bullshit. A lot of it is smoke and mirrors, pipe dreams, because it's every it's still so new. Everything's still so new. And there's still so much ground to be covered. So it's just like, you know, to hear that directly from a person who's developing and I'm asking them their perspective so I can know about their project. I feel like that came with so much truth. And that's what I started to, when I really started to, to get into it and start looking into projects and seeing what's going on, looking at Git, GitHubs and, and finding people that would, for me, you know, go in and evaluate other projects and things like that. It, it was, it, for me, it was just like, oh man, like, holy crap. That's why I said, I feel like, like stuff like that is so important. That's why it's so important. I feel like for people to go and educate themselves. And to get really, really, like, really get familiar with this, with this, with this space, because there's a lot of craziness happening, happening out here. You know, I think people have the right to know the fact that 
there are companies behind a lot of the development just reselling the tech and they have the rights to it. The reason why is because no one else is going to say this because it just exposes everything going on. But people deserve to know I've lost money in this space. It's painful. And I get angry because I realize if I had either been in another position at the time or known other people or known more more about the space, I could have avoided that loss. And it will just continue unless people really stop giving projects, companies, whatever you call it, benefit of the doubt, stop doing and verify everything. There's a, there's a saying, right? Some of the Bitcoin evangelists saying, uh, don't trust, verify. It's a very good way of protecting, preserving your funds. And I don't blame ordinary investors or ICO participants because most people got jobs. They're just trying to survive. They do a nine to five. They might have family. They're not going to have time like you know myself. I'm very fortunate to be full time in this space because I have other businesses. So I don't, you know, I, I have the luxury of of spending as much time or as little time as I want. But most people don't have that, and I really feel that unless you're full time, you're not going to get and understand the full depth of everything at hand. So someone has to talk about it. I agree. I 100% agree with that. And again, I'm I'm kind of like you in that in that um in that regard. I am lucky to be full time in the crypto and you know podcasts and learning and things like that. But do, most people don't have that luxury, and it is like this is this is a full time thing. I tell people, I was like, for me, crypto and blockchain, this is a lifestyle. I'm completely immersed in this, and I'm dedicated to it. And to anybody who's not. Not saying, you know, obviously you're not, a, you're not a horrible person or a horrible investor, but man, the learning curve for this is not little. Like the one thing I hear all the time out of all the people I interview, and I don't care if I'm talking about a trader, you know, I don't care if I'm talking about a writer, a developer. They, I've talked to people who have been top in their respect for what they do in their careers. And the second they step into blockchain and cryptocurrency, they're like, I had to relearn my whole job. I had to learn everything from scratch because it's different. This is different. This is it's not the same. So that you know that it is, man. It's, it's I feel like there's so many smoke and mirrors. And again, you said a good point. I feel like definitely people deserve to know the truth. What's really going on? And I feel like you have so many projects that try to manage or manipulate or whatever they want to call it to certain information. It's like. Man, some stuff people should just know. Like transparency in a lot of ways to me, I feel like in cryptocurrency and blockchain should just be a given. So, like you said, like in the article, one thing you talked about ICOs taking and and um changing their lockup times after having their their funding completed and stuff like that. I'm just like, like that to me, that's ass. That's crazy. Like that's asinine. That's completely insane. Like we have no rights as ICO investors, right? And we we continue to accept the fact that we allow these projects to change their lockups on us or change anything in the project and have no democracy as investors in something that's supposed to be about decentralization at all. We're investing in basically, you know, advertised decentralized projects, which are run entirely centralized. My process for vetting something is ridiculous. Like it's in mad time, mad, and I'm, I'm a research person. So I'm a person that I don't have a problem delving in and reading for hours to figure out if this is the right investment decision for me or things like that. And I mean, there's a lot of information out there. The internet is real, thankfully. So, you know, that gives me the ability to be able to find a lot of information in one spot in a, in a shorter span of time. But again, still, like I have people all the time come to me and be like, hey, yo, I, I saw this and, you know, I wanted to know your opinion. I mean, people have brought to me some things to where I'm literally worried. 
<laughs> about them in the space because literally <laughs> from without even Googling a single thing. Look- that 10 second glance, you're like, holy, damn, this is a massive scam. Like, how can, how can you not see it's a scam? Right? Exactly. Like if your white paper looks like a PowerPoint presentation that was done by someone in high school. Yeah, you know? for real. There's a bunch of that. Yeah, I'm like, whoa! Like, what's the sourcing? It looks like it's from like a first year university. Yeah, there, like, <laughs> like bracket <it's>... <laughs> one seven bracket, and then at the end of the document, all the references there. I'm like, that's not a proper way to source. Exactly. And obviously, they haven't done a dissertation before, so they haven't been corrected on that. It's just very telling. It's been written by kids. Man, like that stuff like that. That's what I pay attention to. You know, that's really what I pay. That's like even with this podcast, for example. Like when it comes to stuff like that, I'm anal because the, the first thing I think of when I start to do anything, if I'm moving into a space that's new, for example, this podcast. If I'm about to start this podcast, when I launch, you're gonna think that I knew a hell of a lot about podcasting before I launch because I want to launch to an industry standard that's above the norm because I want to make a good impression when I first come out. So when I, when I personally, if I'm thinking about doing a, you know, ICO or token or whatever the case, I would think the same way, but it's like so many people in projects and people who do research, like it's across the playing field. No, it's like, nobody does that shit. And I'm just like, what's going on? Like what's happening? Like we need, really need to change something. But again, I think it's people like you and I that, that sparked that conversation to get people to realize that. And I hope further pushes it for there to be a change because that it sucks. I know I don't want to see anybody lose their money, no matter what the case is, but things do have to change. People have to do stuff differently. This problem isn't going to go away. It's not always easy though, because even though you come across those blatant examples of really bad projects, they they might not be scams. It could just be a couple guys, girls, maybe young, young ones trying to raise capital for some idea. Right. But you do get, Projects that are still really terrible, just as bad, but they've paid for the services to have their deck made nicely, a website printed out nicely, nice design animations, everything. They've managed to source a team from, I don't know, the millions of people on LinkedIn who are gladly put it on their LinkedIn and, and being paid in tokens that are worth nothing. There's some still look good. There's some that actually have reputable names on them, head of X, you know, X employees of banks tech companies, but still be really terrible uh, opportunities for investors. And this is where people are getting caught out is, you know, sometimes the people on this project have zero industry relation to the thing they're pitching. And you can just tell it's basically just people, friends of friends asking around to just say, hey, do you, can you be on this project? We'll give you some tokens plus like some pay reimbursement, like or 50 grand once you've raised money. And all you need to do is just lend us your credentials, lend us your background, and you can be on this project. Now, by the way, it's legit, and you know we're going to try and do it. Because um, I'll tell you the the many times I've actually interviewed projects, they have massive team, but really it's two guys or even one guy behind it. They never have the full team working there. I always ask one by one, tell me this person's position in the project, and are they full time or part time? What exactly are they doing for you? How many hours are they committed? Uh, because otherwise, the CEO will sit there and tell you and lie to your face, oh, yeah, my team is this big. I've got all these employees. Uh, but when you start to scratch it, uh, lying often on camera or not a recorded conversation, because most VCs actually record their interviews with startups, um, it's, a good, it's a good way to protect yourself in, in case you are frauded, be frauded. Uh, and that is actually really good evidence in court. And it does happen all the time. People will lie 
so they can get money. And it means that the company will be able to survive. Say, for example, in a non, non-blockchain situation, in like a, a startup play, it would mean the company will be able to survive on like 200K equity investment for another year. So there's many, many pitfalls. Stuff like that is, yeah, like I can't reiterate how important stuff like that is to have that knowledge, to have that. I tell people when I think about projects, I'm like the lover that's been scoring one too many times. So I don't trust anybody because I have I've, I've seen it. I've seen projects that from first glance. Oh, this shit is perfect. This is 100% together. This is definitely something. It's definitely going to go somewhere. And then you watch exit scams or then you watch the development just come to a halt or, you know, things like that. And it is, it's full of people who have egos. And if they know a little bit, then they try to push it further, but it may not necessarily be enough to actually keep moving forward, especially if money is a factor. And if this is something that you're doing because you want to make a bunch of money or that's just a sole focus. So, you know, I tell people, you know, I'm like, like I tell people I'm invested in one thing right now. Well, technically two Bitcoin and one other project called ECC. And for me that the reason why is because I feel like transparency is damn near at the top of my list of things. Like that has to be there. If it's not, I'm not comfortable, not as an investor, I'll talk to you, have conversations. We could go back and forth all day. But for me to put my money into this, there has to be some sort of transparency that I feel comfortable with. And I feel like I can get real answers because if I can't get real answers, or I get generic answers. I'm going to be like, uh, red flag. Wait a minute. What's going on? And I feel like that happens all the time. And then, you know, you have people that are just so hyped up, especially during bull markets. It's like they completely overlook all of that. And they're like, yeah, oh, they, they skip all the due diligence and they get in because their friends are getting in. And then exactly the latest big influencer is also rumored to be in the project and he's looking for an allocation. And uh, it starts this whole f- chain of FOMO. And then before you know it, they've they're oversubscribed. But really, uh, if you had done the due diligence without the metrics of an influencer behind it or Correct. the fact that all these VCs want to get an allocation and just resell it once it's uh, sold out. If you remove all that and strip it away, you're kind of just left with a mediocre project as good as the last one, uh, really. And that's true. This is why I take those factors now in my analysis. We do a a weighted score, and those are negative factors. VC investment is a negative factor. Influences are a negative factor. And I think it it best suits this bear market condition. It it just saves us and it means we preserve capital. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. I feel like there's kind of like a, a natural uh, purge that's going to take place because it is bear market we're in. And honestly, I've been looking forward to it since that crazy rant run we had in 2017, where in summertime also it went fucking nuts and projects started popping up out of nowhere and ICO started doing insane numbers. I was just like, man, when we go into this bear market. A lot of this shit is about to spontaneously disappear. <laughs> and you, I mean, you just know it. You know it. You like, yeah. yo, there's no way. Like, and, and like you said, like, the, you see these projects that repackage the exact same shit, call it something different, and say, oh, well, we're going to tweak this and do this and do that. And then the first thing I think is, I'm like, like, what if this is a guy sitting in his garage t- telling us <laughs> just right this now? And he has no fucking idea what he's doing. <laughs> I, that's what I worry about when I think about projects to invest in. That's why I'm like, yo, if I can't talk to a lead developer and have a conversation and set him up with somebody else that I know that I trust to have a conversation and know that he actually knows what the fuck he's talking about, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, man. I, 
One of the things that stick in my mind is something uh, I really like another guy in the space. Uh, he's a really good influencer. Not in a, a funny way, by the way. Like, uh, I listen to this guy's videos all the time. Crypto Omar. Uh, Crypto O. Like, this guy is super humble. He's always looking out for his, com com uh, his community. And something when I first got into the space, like back in 2017, something like that, he said something really peculiar. He said, well, the, by the way, all the ICOs that were like in 2016, like out of the thousand there was or however many hundred, there were like four that managed to survive into like the top 100 or top 200 market cap out of all of the ones in 2016. And then you look back to the year previous and again, the same thing and the same thing. So like if we look at 2017, how many projects will be around now? You know, many have disappeared, many have inactive telegrams. Once we come out of the bear market, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how many companies are still there and what do our ICO tokens mean? Yeah, no joke. I agree 100 Yeah, I agree 100% with that. It is. I'm like, once this smoke clears and everybody's able to look around and see who's left, it's going to be a lot of bodies on the ground. A lot of bodies. Uh, it's going to be a lot of bodies of, of projects, yeah, influencers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like the guys are in my so in my group um, I've got a couple of like old school I call OG investors right like 2010 to 2014 and uh, they did make substantial amounts of capital they retired now from buying ETH when it was like single digit and uh, they seem to be really chill about what's going on because they've seen it they made investments in 2014 that died the next year so the fact that uh, another run has come, they continue to employ strategies like flipping, investing in projects and long-term, short-term. But they're a lot more relaxed about it, I think, because they've managed their capital better and they have realistic expectations that, uh, yes, there are crazy gains to be made, but you can also be wiped out uh, in an instant. They have learned and they were kind of, uh, all the guys I know from 2014 were kind of like sitting on cool pile of information, knowledge, just chilling making investments and minding their own business. Uh, and they did well from it, I think. They knew they knew when to get out. Exactly. And that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing. Knowing when, yeah, knowing when to get out. And that's the thing is, you know, they don't call it a herd for nothing. Um, and a lot of the herd is doing the wrong thing. So you have people that are trading and making investment decisions not based on due diligence, not based on knowledge, not based on technical analysis, not based on anything. Literally based on damn near purely emotions and tweet from a really good friend. So it's just like, you know, at the end of the day, you do, you have to have realistic expectations. Like I can't tell you how many times I've seen people lose all or close to all of their money. And then they're, they're mad at the project and in the point to where it's obvious without even doing deep due diligence, it's obvious that the risk is it's crazy. Like, why would you throw thousands of dollars into that? You know, so it's just like, and I feel like now, like, if you're really paying attention, this has happened so many times. There's been multiple cycles like this with, with crypto. So this isn't like new. It may be new to people who are just getting in, but this has happened. So a lot of data is already there that you can research to find to say like, okay, because that's literally what I did. I've known about cryptocurrency since probably like early 2012. 2013, right? But I didn't actually get into it seriously because I was occupied with other stuff and at the time until uh, early 2017. 
And that's literally how I learned exactly how to deal with this market was through looking at past behavior and talking to individuals. And and like you say, the OGs, people who's been in this for a while and been through these market cycles, man, it's just no joke. And that's why I'm so relaxed because people are like, yo, how are you so calm right now? Easy. Google. (laughs) That's why I'm calm. Like I've done my due diligence. So I don't have a reason to freak out and I'm not just sitting out here emotionally. I I actually have a strategy. If you don't have a strategy. So do you trade? Yeah. Yeah. I trade. Yep. And I'm more long-term. So what I do is I like, I like to go back and forth between crypto and the traditional market. So I'll mess around with, uh, futures is, is mainly my thing, my specialty, but I like messing around with Forex a little bit too. So physically delivered futures or cash sales? She's, oh, no, 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 not cash, not, not cash hold. No. Okay. Okay. Physically delivered. Yeah. 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 So, 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 well, I mean, I've done a little bit of both. So it just depends. Like for me specifically, right? So I like to use, there's an individual that I follow. He's, this is crazy. So he's been trading in Forex and futures since before there were actual charts. So he's been doing this for like 50 years and he used to hand draw <laughs> his charts and things like that. Right. So, <laughs> Generally, the way I am emotionally as a person, anything I like to do is generally going to be a long term. So I like to hold anything that I get for at least a year, generally speaking. So that's the approach I've taken in crypto. Now, what I've gotten into more doing now recently, especially because I have the time now, I just stopped working like a couple of months ago. So, you know, I'll trade futures and I'll usually do, you know, I do my uh, the currencies and stuff like that. So I'll trade that and that's extremely short term, but I'll use that those profits as a way to basically build up basically during this spare market in anticipation of hopefully Bitcoin going below 3K, which I hope it will, and then kind of restacking and then waiting to kind of see where the market goes. You know, it's almost this hard. I mean, I see what you're doing here with the strategy, making uh, obviously profit from the first thing and then setting up your portfolio ahead of the potential bull run. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just trying to, you know, I have a strategy in place that I'm trying to follow, uh, you know, and things like that. And again, I'm not a guru. Like, I'm not a guru on any of this. This is why I have people that I talk to that I use as my mentors that have much more experience in this space than I do to kind of help and guide me, things like that. I'm Now, I manage everything myself, but I very much so listen to that person because obviously if they have the experience and they have a track record that I can look and see as proof of like, okay, this person knows what they're doing, then it's like, why wouldn't I listen to that person? Do you have any favorite traders in crypto? In crypto? Now, you should say a funny thing, right? I don't necessarily have, well, I guess you can't call them traders. I think of them, when I think about it, I think of just strictly technical analysis, but they do trade. Oh, they give technical analysis guys giving signals and just analysis? Well, they generally trade. The ones that at least the main ones that I follow trade. Uh, but I just, in my mind, when you said that, I thought like, wait, huh? They're like, yeah, yeah, they do trade. But I look at them just as technical analysts rather than traders. Well, the thing is, yeah, it's ironic because sometimes running those uh, channels is full time and you never have time to trade. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and that's what I was going to say. And that's a and that's another thing that's actually a really good point. When I do look for somebody that does technical analysis, I look for people who trade because to me that I mean, that's the proof is in the pudding. So when I think about that, so, for example, uh, one guy who I, I really like, his name is Chris Dunn. He's a really awesome guy. I follow him. Another guy by the name of Asim Rays. Um, he's not really well known at all, but this guy is phenomenal. He does. Um, he's really great at breaking things down and explaining things. And I like him because he's not just uh, he doesn't rely on one method of technical analysis. So he has a specialty in Elliott wave analysis and he does Fibonacci and stuff like that. But he uses he has experience in a lot of other 
um, indicators as well. And, you know, obviously certain indicators are better in certain markets and stuff like that. Like, um, I like, I prefer, you know, obviously old school support resistance is awesome. Right. When you're talking about volume, I love doing Ichimoku again, Elliott wave analysis, Ichimoku, you know, there's a lot of different things, but I love it because not only one, does he use the things that I'm familiar with, but he also applies a lot of things that I do not know. So I, you know, kind of do my own thing, map it out. Okay. How do I feel this is? And then I have a person that I know is solid who is making an unbiased technical analysis of what's happening with any particular coin. He mainly does Bitcoin. And then I know like, okay, you know, where am I at within the range of what he said? And that's kind of how I grow my own skill and I hone in. So those are the two main guys that I follow. Um, I've seen, and I think my problem is that I've seen a lot of other people do technical analysis. And I've seen people do technical analysis that actually do it well, that apply it well, until ego or emotions come in. And then it's just like, damn. So you have these people who go on this run of saying, you know, the giving these awesome uh, uh, breakdowns. And then you can just tell when they give that one that one breakdown, which is clearly emotional. And I'm just like, fuck. And then you watch people follow that and lose a lot of money. And that's the reason why I follow those two guys consistently, because they take the emotion completely out of it and then do their analysis. Yeah, two of the biggest pitfalls of trading is uh, obviously emotion, ego. And another caveat to, to tell people is that no one ever gets all trades right. There's no such thing as 100% accuracy in trading. I mean... If you're a good trader, you expect your accuracy to be up at like maybe 60, 70% of uh, someone who frequently trades. You may be thinking, what happens to the other 30%? Well, those are bad trades, but you use a stop loss. So you've met, you've obviously put risk management in place and therefore your losses are minimal while your gains should be, should be substantial. Yep. Yep. And yeah, if you don't, the market's going to teach you to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've made some crazy trades. I've even got on board at one point and done like 100x leverage on BitMEX. Uh, with oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it was it was like, uh, it was on the way down from 20K because I was already shorting anyway. So, you know, that, that's what happens when you, when you are obviously making really good trades all the time. Sometimes the adrenaline or just the kind of, uh, the presence of you thinking you're always going to be right all the time where you've got some kind of luck or ability to just, every trade will be good. And then that one takes you out and you accidentally went all in with your account and uh, no stop loss as well. Yeah, no joke. And that will happen. That will absolutely, man, I could, I remember one day I woke up one morning, right? Jumped onto, jumped onto the charts. So I'm trading, um, what was I trading? I think it was a uh, Swiss franc in uh, the, the dollar, right? Literally jump on it. It's early in the morning. I think it was, oh shit. It may have been like 5 a.m where I was at. I think I was on Eastern time or something like that. Yeah, I think I was Eastern. I traveled too much. But anyway, so I wake up early. I trade, literally get on, right? Did a a trade, basically caught a bull flag and it went fucking nuts. Literally nuts. Luckily, on the trade, when I initiated it, it had a trailing stop loss. Literally made four figures. I think I made like seven or $8,000 literally in like two minutes. I was like, oh. You were like, well, kind of luck, you know, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, got, got super lucky. You could have just jumped on the, the PC and been like, got straight into it. Yeah. Um, I realized maybe the setup wasn't good. And then obviously it got taken out. But in this case, that didn't happen. 
Yeah, in this case, exactly. And it could have went either way. And, that, and that, here's the thing. That was my first time trading that style. Generally, I don't trade that close to market open just because I'm like, that's just not more for a day. So I did, and I got lucky. It. Yeah, I got lucky. Then guess what happened? Try to do it again the next day. Dumped. Guess who lost half of that profit? Uh, you gave back to the market. Yeah. Gave it right back. <laughs> and it, yeah. you know, if that that was something that happened, dude. How about that? Yeah, you know, it real really. If you hate that feeling, it only has to happen one time. For me, it was after that. I was like, I, I literally didn't touch my laptop for like a week. I was like. That was the dumbest shit I've ever done. As it, I was more careful when I first started training, and I did all of that, made all of that progress to get to that point and completely. Because it is, it's like a that was like a high. I was like, oh my god, I've had five digit wipeouts in uh, U.S. stock market before. Uh, I've, so I've I know frustration. I know how how bad it can get when you you're on a run and you just push it one. Too, one time too many and you don't use any of your principles or your rules uh, and then I've also been in the situation where I've made one bad trade and I forced the trade to try and recover and I've just lost uh, entire amounts but two of my best trades actually uh, it's quite ironic as well given my political background but one or two of them both happened in the same day and it was when the US Department of Justice cancelled the contracts for these two companies one uh, ticker was GEO and the, uh, well, I think it was G4S or GEO, and there was another one, and they run the private prisons in the US. And obviously, they canceled the contracts. And this popped up on a tool we use called Benzingo, where we get like instant news before it comes out. It's a premium service. It's really expensive. And uh, it also popped up on our um, trade idea scanner, is an intra-second scanner on the stock market where you cut, where you, sorry, you set custom perimeters. So when, say, for example, if I want to see it, Units of 10,000 coming on a mid cap, which is like a one to seven dollars within any second period, and the stock will pop up on the scanner. It's like super edgy. Uh, you can't trade without this stuff. Basically, subscriptions are really pricey. Uh, and we shorted Geo from $35 down to, I think, like $13. And there was another company which did about the same move uh, with leverage. And everyone in this trading group uh, called Warrior Trading, I was in like raked it in big time. Wow. Big, big time. That was one of the best trading days I've ever had because uh, we basically just had the information you know, as, as, as soon as it came out publicly. Also, the fact that these two companies were doing really corrupt stuff in the prison <laughs> industry in the US, you know, basically like lack of human rights, uh, oh, siphoning shit. money, all kinds of stuff. So they lost the contracts. Wow. Yeah, that was an interesting time. A lot of great trading stories out there. <laughs> that's for sure man um wow yeah that's that's wow <laughs> to watch i don't think that's ever. i haven't seen a whole group of individuals who have uh such a success at the same time i know that must have been dope to see everybody everybody probably in there like that part's probably like a scene out of a uh, wolf on yeah. wall street everybody's like yeah the guy's name who leads the group is called ross and he he live trades so obviously you're in a chat room with like 2,000 people. It's all paid memberships and all the traders are pretty decent. And Ross is going through tickers that pop up on this screen and we're going through ours. And then this has popped up on his Benzinga and we can see it. So then we're all looking at it. And I'm like, I'm in this because this is said basically it's a, it's a no-brainer. And the entire group is shorting. You've got like 2,000 investors in this one group, so traders in this one group. But I've also had uh, trades that went bad. Like, uh, you know, we're going through Brexit here, right? 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, yo, I've been hearing about that nonstop. No, it's all right. So funny story before you even say that. So yo, the, so there's there's um there's a group of people that I I, I talk to right, and they all run off of a, a a trading bot. So all of a sudden, I wake up one day, and everybody's like, "Yo, what the fuck is going on?" With this trading pair, why is it every every you know everything going all nuts? Was it USB uh, USD GBP? Yep, USD GBP. That was going to be my story. <laughs> yep, yeah, and everybody's like, "Yo, what the? F- my account sliced in half. I'm losing money. What the fuck is going <laughs> on?" And and the guy, the the main you know the main developer, he hops in. He's like, "Yeah, so about that." And he, he starts talking about Brexit. I was just like, "Oh damn, yeah." Well, you got to be aware of political. Yeah. Usually trade, yep, yeah, you do. especially yeah. if you're trading currencies. Like that's all literally like economic news. You need to be tied into that stuff really well. Yep, and that's what I tell people. I, I actually lost money on uh, a USD GBP trade um, a year and a half, two years ago, or a year and a half ago, I guess. And I was ex- I was shorting the pound, but for some reason that doesn't make any logical sense because the news was bad. It went up like by ten cents, and I got liquidated. And I was like, I I knew I knew what you know the I don't think it's inside the trading, but I knew kind of like how the political decision was going to pan out as like an announcement. So I have a lot of I used to work with a lot of the current former uh, MPs and the Labour Party around some of the stuff we used to do. Like I'm very well connected to those guys, um, and I just not know how Brexit is going and direction it's going. So I said, like, okay, this is bad news for business. So I short. And the pound jumps. I'm just like, it's crazy. And it jumped just because we confirmed that we're going to leave. Just because of the confirmation. The fact that there wasn't certainty about Brexit in terms of are we or are we not going to have a referendum or are we leaving, that just that confirmation made the pound jump 10 cents, 10 pence. And I was like, I thought the confirmation would have been bearish, but it wasn't. So uh, that was a really strange one for me. Definitely interesting. See, and and actually thinking about that too, when I think about that, even uh, I think about this from a crypto perspective, one thing I see popping up a lot more. Now, of course, it was like running rapid during 2017, right? Is that these, you know, you have these Telegram groups, Facebook groups, whatever, that have individuals in there that are trading, that are giving signals, things like that. You know, you have bots that are trading and things like that. Now, of course, a lot of this shit died (laughs) when this market went to shit. Because a lot of them weren't, weren't able to sustain, or, or you know, you know, the traders that can only trade in a bear or in a bull market, and then it's like when yeah, they don't know how to show. They just there's not enough volatility or volume for them. Yeah, exactly. So everything changes, right? But I'm actually starting to see that it's weird. I'm kind of seeing seeing that pick up a little bit more. But even more interesting, I'm starting to feel like I see a little bit more legitimate, like people who generally have an interest in this and are trying to help people and educate people and not just like steal their money. When I think about this in the future, right now, when you think about the the New York Stock Exchange and things like that, you think about how heavily that's traded institutional investors and you think about um, bots and things like that. Do you feel like if t- cryptocurrency just keeps growing and keeps doing what it's doing as far as the trading aspect, do you feel like naturally it's just going to evolve into that space to where there's just gonna, there's, that's just going to happen? I would say that the more capital that comes in, obviously, the more stable the space is. So it's extremely hard to move uh, a stock market. You need trillions or you need need a large amount of capital. And you're going to lose it in the process of doing that. It's going to cost you. So economically, it makes no sense unless like you are that crap rich and 
you one day decide you hate the capitalist economic system we live in and you want to do something crazy, right? Which is unlikely, highly unlikely. There are AIs and algorithms and scripts uh, which are currently used in the stock market by many trading firms, banks, and so on and so forth. And in the equivalent, we have uh, trading bots like Gunbot, a bunch of other small ones that are somewhere around. Uh, I've never really messed around with them. I don't really trust them, but I've heard people do well. And actually, ironically, a lot of the kind of market makers in this space are using like Gunbot, like retail available tools, which is a little bit scary. But I heard you can do custom scripts on it or something. I've not looked into it, like custom analysis or strategies. But I think, yeah, as if the market cap increases, the total market cap in these, these assets become more liquid, it should be very difficult to either manipulate the price or have extreme volatility, which is obviously maturation of the market. But until then, we'll just continue to see bots pushing up prices. They don't only really just push up prices, but they draw patterns. I've known this for a while. Because we used to trade with a Dutch, our crypto trading group 2017, and we'd see whales before like the bull run. And what they used to do is like set up massive cell walls and like draw a, a ascending triangle or descending triangle, right? And just before it kind of looks like it's about to break out, and we we start eating into that big cell wall, they remove the cell wall and then it pumps. They literally just price jumps, right? Because they've removed that cell wall now. And this is bot trading. So if you could, ha- if you knew how to identify a bot on the order book, you could do extremely well because you knew that it was eventually the tr- the chart it was drawing was a bullish one. And if you kind of just traded your way up with the bot just underneath it, you'd do okay. Right. Yeah. Yep. And I definitely. Yeah. Man, that makes a lot of sense. And and yeah, that's a conversation I had a couple of times a while back as far as being able to identify bot movement when you're looking at books and when you're looking at exchanges and things like that. And it is, it makes a huge ass difference because, uh, yeah, when you get caught in the crossfire of a whale making a big ass fucking move and you lose a lot of money, it's a sucky feeling. It's a really sucking feeling. And the whales are trying to get it to pump so they can actually liquidate most of the tokens they have, right? So they make the appearance of some kind of massive volume or movement. Uh, but really, once it hits a certain price, they, they market sell and clear the entire buy buy side book. Yep. And it's just like that. It's gone. (laughs) So, and it looks like, yep, 2017 again. And, um, I mean, uh, I don't know if you've been, you've been following exchanges much, but it's pretty bad. Like across most exchanges, really apart from Binance, like they are barely liquid on a lot of coins. Like when I barely, I'm like, you've got maybe a combination like 20 ETH total on each side. Yeah, it Uh, is. Yeah. And, it's bad. And uh, I think I think that really analysis hasn't been done on this, this state of exchanges in this last end of this year, last year. And I think it's a lot bad and a lot worse than we think. I know just today, uh, Liqui announced that all users had to withdraw their funds, right? Because obviously they can't, they can't afford to run the exchange, which is probably meaning that they, they don't generate more than 30k USD a month, which is kind of like the cost of running an exchange because they're all bought from the same developers, uh, alpha point and dragnet design the standard exchange you see. And then basically if you say, for example, an ICO does an ICO for an exchange, they'll go to those two providers of crypto exchanges and then just buy custom integrations. Um, so this is why I never invested in an exchange because none of them are proprietary. Like I, I, I can't say hand and heart, a hundred percent are proprietary, but I damn know that, 
most of them are just bought by Draglet and Alpha Point. And actually, I think on Draglet's website, they've got the pricing there. There's like silver, gold, platinum package. And these dudes are buying exchanges, highest cost, 100K, but raising like 15 mil. And I was just like, this makes no sense. That's crazy. That is fucking insane. And that is true. And that's funny because literally before I started reading your article, that's what I was thinking about, was thinking about exchanges because I saw the liquid thing as well. And thinking about that, and I and I agree the same way. I think, yeah, the state of it, a lot of exchanges are way worse than what I feel like they're making it seem. Um, because it's like, okay, if projects are having problems with liquidity, why would exchanges not based on what are they really doing behind the scenes? What's happening? Yeah, some exchanges have massive infrastructures. Look at Binance. Like the amount of staff, developers, initiatives in each country, they're burning through a lot of cash in a market where it's barely active trading volume-wise, right? And I, I had friends go to the Binance conference in Singapore like one or two weeks ago, and they said it was practically empty. Wow, that's crazy. Compared to 2017 where it was like rammed, this one was 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 empty, um, which just goes to show like the... The herd has been thinned a bit. But I mean, you've got dodgy stuff happening all the time, even with big name exchanges. I wouldn't say OKX and HitBTC are big, but they're known. And uh, I don't know if you followed the amount of traders who have been manually liquidated and lost like hundreds of thousands of dollars because basically the exchange didn't have anyone else on the other side of a short uh, to fill it. So so all credit to BitMix, the fact that they have supposedly this automated liquidation uh, software but I know that hit BTC liquidation is manual because they have an OTC desk that is frequently trying to sell and buy Bitcoin to try and manage the volumes, which is which is very scary. And obviously, this is because we're in an environment where ICOs are not regulated. So I've been doing some work with a, a working group which responds to the Crypto Asset Task Force in the UK. Crypto Asset Task Force is Bank of England, FCA, HR. MRC and a few, I think one or two other bodies. And um, they've now, as of last week, put out guidance, official guidance, essentially. And uh, they've said that ICOs, as long as they're utilities, in a nutshell, are not regulated products, but obviously STOs are, which means that the ICO space will continue to exist, at least in the UK, and that these this will be unregulated products as long as maybe the FCA uh, sees that it remains a relatively small size of market compared to the UK market and globally, they don't probably won't put down stringent requirements, but it still begs the point that you need to be a regulated firm to be an exchange to to take or hold assets or all this kind of stuff. And obviously, the, that, that stuff will start to be enforced over the next year. They've also put the tax guide, guidance out, which is which is just as bad as the US. It's crypto. It's crypto to crypto based taxable activity, um, and obviously, this the major dilemma facing a lot of people is that, say, you made profit back in December, and you you maybe cashed it into BTC or ETH, you're paying tax on the value of the the gain at that time on the profit made at that point, and if you held those two assets and seen how much they've depreciated since then, and maybe now you don't have the capital to pay that tax bill, what are you going to do? Because that, that's huge. That's a big issue. I think, and they have alluded to the point where you can write off the losses, essentially. But I don't think that's that clear in the US. It's a bit clearer here in the UK. 
Yeah, yeah, and you're right. And that, one of the things I actually had to talk with a really good friend of mine the other day, and he was talking about, you know, getting ready to prepare his taxes for, you know, the last year in crypto, which he didn't do much trading, so it wasn't much. But the, one of the things that he was talking about, he was like, and I agree, I was just like, man, like you imagine the people who were making all these trades throughout, you know, 2018, and now they don't have the money from those those same trades they made in order to pay the taxes on them. Like that fucking sucks. We tried to argue that they should not apply these rules retrospectively. Yes. We have a banking cartel in the UK and probably in the US where if you ha- if you withdraw uh, any crypto-related fiat, say, say, for example, I use Coinbase to withdraw to my bank account, there's a relatively high percentage if I pass a certain watermark that my account will be closed down because banking policy in the UK and pretty much almost globally is that they do not allow crypto because of the money laundering risk associated to the asset, which is a credible risk. And therefore, the bank can be fined. Uh, blockchain is a new technology. They don't really have a bulletproof tech. Even with like companies like Chainalysis, Coinfirm, and Elliptic, it's very easy to wash money in crypto. So while the tech is still being built out, there aren't any like absolute guarantees out there that can enable a bank to make sure that they limit their ML risk and exposure. So they're treating it as essentially, you know, if they feel like it, they'll close your bank account down. So how can you tell, how can you try to apply the tax retrospectively when people didn't have an opportunity to withdraw funds? That's true. That's not, it's not fair. It's not fair. Yeah. I know people personally have had their bank accounts closed down. It's made their lives misery because they found it difficult to open new ones and couldn't pay their bills. But I mean, you know, new asset, new technology, lots of risks. So it comes with the, the territory. Yeah, it does. I, I agree. Yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff centered around it because it is kind of weird to me. It just doesn't make sense. And I really hope over time that things, especially the tax aspect, like I think that's is. I'm like that's this ridiculous. Like first of all, could you imagine somebody who's day trading or fuck even swing trading? Somebody who's day trading crypto and having to worry about that like that's that's another reason why i'm a long-term uh in crypto because i just i'm good like i have kids and a family and i have to use the bathroom and sleep and i don't want to have to think about that shit like i don't like yeah 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 and i'm hopeful that things change you know u.s shit is going fucking nuts over here you know you have the two the two gentlemen uh that propose the whole the new taxonomy act and things like that which is great but at the time, that shit is super shelved because we got the government shut down and a bunch of other insane shit going on. So it's just like, man, what what is about to happen? It seems like crypto is not a priority of anyone in government right now. Uh, I mean, your priorities are about building that wall or trying to. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, and uh, I don't know, like trying to impeach Trump through like finding out what exactly he was involved in with Russia. Yeah, like... I need to fucking buy an island and go sit there for a while. But you know what's interesting? A lot of like high profile crypto guys from the US have like gained citizenship elsewhere, so they don't pay tax. Yeah, that is true. Yep, that's a very You've real got that country in the south, in the to the south of the US, I can't remember what it's called. New Mexico or something? Uh, no, that uh well I know Mexico's to the south of us. Um I know uh, Puerto Rico is really like, there you go. yeah, Puerto Rico, there you which go. is talking about there. Yeah, they're, ta- dude, I, no joke. When I read, when I, these guys are surrendering their citizenship yeah. and getting passports in Puerto Rico. 
just because I don't pay tax. I know we're done with the US now. We, we, we're set for life. And uh, we're going to go and chill on the island with cocktails and women. No joke. I've I've sat there and considered that. And it's still in consideration. Because <laughs> I'm like, man... I'm like, you know, it gets I say, to be boring. Trust yeah, me. Yeah, he's gonna get to be boring, right? Yeah, I'm gonna have to because that's my and that's and that's kind of I think how I am naturally. Like, I can't sit in one place too long. Ultimately, I get bored, so I like to move around. But I do literally. I've literally been thinking about this. I've been thinking about this for a couple months now. Is that I want to figure out a citizenship strategy, and it's literally going to be based on crypto. <laughs> so I'm like, what? Where I choose to make my citizenship, and hopefully, you know, I want to do a dual, uh, multiple citizenship, and then, you know, I may still have residency here in the U.S., but it's like, dude, these fucking these tax, you, you got, they got to change these tax laws. Oh no, you've got this very strict law in the U.S. where it doesn't matter if you work outside the country, for you will be a tax paying resident of the U.S. forever. It, well. Well, at least from what I understand, from the little bit of research I've done, is that pretty much the only way. I think there is a way to get out of it, but you literally have to completely renounce your citizenship. Yeah. So basically, if you're not a citizen anymore, yeah. Yeah. Which, which so. is, yeah, which would work in any country. But yeah, I remember looking this up on behalf of a friend and I was like, in the UK, I can I can work outside of the UK for a year and then file an application to say I'm a non-tax resident or non, yeah, non-tax resident of the UK, which means I'm only allowed to be here 90 days a year. Uh, and I've got to work somewhere else and have all the proofs of that. Uh, but it means I pay tax in the first country, which will be wherever that is. Hopefully, uh, like some tax-friendly country like, uh, I don't know, somewhere new in the east, <laughs> somewhere where it's sunny. <laughs> yep, see. Uh, and somewhere it, where it doesn't snow because uh, I'm, you know, cold and me don't go together well. Gotta, gotta love taxes, right? So um, what do you think about privacy coins uh, and since we're on, on this kind of track around regulation and compliance and stuff, I'm personally thinking that privacy coins would give Bitcoin a run for its money in the next year. A bit like kind of what Bcash did. Yeah. And you know what? That's actually a really good topic and a really good point you bring up, right? Because I feel like privacy coins is this topic that I feel is like really fucking important, but like not many people are talking about it, or at least not the herd, I'd I, I say. Because, and it's funny, I was listening to a talk by Andreas, Andreas Antonopoulos, and one thing he said was that thinking about privacy, he was like, perfect example we can use for this, internet. Privacy was not a priority. It was, it was second, it was second layer. What the first layer was just pushing it out. And he was like, we've already seen what happens when we do that. So why would we repeat that process? And I was like, damn, that's a really good fuck. That's a really great point. Like it is, it's a really good point. So it's just like, when I think about cryptocurrency and I think about privacy coins, I, it's to me, it's the same thing. I think that that makes so much sense in, in the essence of, I feel like privacy coins are important and they should, I feel like be more precedent than what they are right now. And I feel like naturally, or at least I'm hoping naturally that people will start to realize that shit before it's too late. And then we, it is like the internet and then you have to worry about net neutrality and shit like that to the point to where it's like insane. So yeah, I think privacy coins are, are, is going to be something that becomes a bigger topic as time passes on. And I think that it is going to have a prevalence that to me, it just, like I said, it to me, it just makes sense. After, especially after, after hearing that, hearing him say that. Yeah. Have you been following uh, Beam and Grim? They're two um, new projects on the Mimblewimble protocol. They kind of are based out like Europe and Israel-ish a little bit. 
but they have some really massive community demand at the moment and uh, supposedly a lot better than ZK Snarks. I don't know the tech very well in this, but it's uh, worth looking at because they just kind of just started mining the, the coins, but there's serious demand for it and a lot of VCs obviously want it, but can't get it because you've got to mine it. But uh, I think that in trying to set up a portfolio for the next couple of years, privacy coins will be a major part of that. Um, I just, I absolutely think that the regulation coming is going to polarize the space and it's going to push more of the crypto type people, less blockchain, but more crypto into protecting anonymity and obviously their wealth and, and that kind of stuff. I just think it's a given when this market picks up, you know, Dash will be worth something uh, major again. So will Monero, all this stuff. But the, there's a, obviously there's a kind of technological risk that these new up and coming projects like Grim and Beam kind of supersede it, which is always something you've got to be uh, aware of. Could definitely agree there. Yeah, without a doubt. Like you said, right? As regulation comes into play, there's, I mean, it's a double edged sword, no matter how you look at it. So when that happens, privacy then becomes a thing. I mean, we've, that's what I'm saying. We've already seen it happen so many times already. So it, it's not like uh, cryptocurrency is exempt to that. It, it would be any different. That's for sure. So it is. I feel like it's something that's going to be more um, more important and is going to, I mean, honestly, it's probably going to catch a lot of people's attention when it may be, you know, when the, the the best opportunities have already gone or like you said, people really get pushed out. But at the same time, Again, it's something that I feel like is very real. And I, you know, and then, right, I feel like a lot of people have, uh, or not a lot of people, I'll say, I, I've talked to numerous people that have kind of like this pipe dream like cryptocurrency will remain unregulated or they hope it remains unregulated. And I'm just like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> I'll say this the only way cryptocurrency is going to remain unre- unregulated is if it doesn't exist. <laughs> More than likely, if this, if this plans on being here for a while, um, long term, yeah, there's because I mean, you can't. I mean, look at, I mean, just think about it now within the past, t- 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 you know, a little over 10 years, this shit has been around. It has been absolutely, cr- it's been the fucking wild, wild west. It has been insane. Zero recourse until yeah, now. Exactly. Like it's, and it's like, it's, and it sucks, right? Because when I think about it, I feel like there should be a level of accountability to where people should want to self-regulate and really handle this without having to bring in, you know, outside entities or other entities. Yeah. If we don't, scammers will just move to this space and they have already, right? Exactly. And And they'll pick on vulnerable people, which will be us because there's no rights we have. Uh, unless you just outright sue. But, I mean, I know many people in the space suing projects that you know you probably would have heard of uh, under under the grounds that they never had the intention to develop the tech. And this is now going on in the background for a lot of projects. And they the projects are, are actually paying them back their investment in order to keep it quiet. And that's that's what's going on. And it's when you try to understand uh, how the gravity of this situation is substantial because I've I've invested in said projects. But for me, it's not been worth the uh, the legal pursuit uh, over it. But I mean, uh, yeah, people, if investors with money have been taking action. Yep, and that's the thing. Yeah, it is. It is. It's just like that. Scammers, <laughs> scammers are definitely here. If we remain remain unregulated, they ain't going anywhere. Um, and it is. It's cr- like uh, one really good example. I don't even know if you saw. It. Um, there's a coin called uh, Bulwark. Familiar with that at all? No. All right. So right. Crazy. Basically, 
somebody whistleblowing the project as far as what's going on, development. Basically, they plan to basically shut down shop. Whistleblow on it. Literally, the price literally dumped. When I looked at it, 50 more, no, more than 50% in a matter of like, it was damn near seconds. Like, (laughs) it was like, I was just like, whoa. Like, and, and this was, if you go and look at, you know, the project from first glance, again, you're like, yo, this is legit as shit. And, you know, the reasons they're shutting down, you know, the same thing. Market's bad. Funds have dried up. Poor money management. And now we don't have the money to be able to supply, you know, to keep moving forward, which is even more fucking nuts because the guy Whistleblue, they had planned to to basically put this news out about a month later. So first thing I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, so you're going to liquidate your shit first and then tell everybody. And then on top of that, up until now, the weeks leading to this moment, they've been putting out news like crazy. Like, oh, great news. We're doing this and we're doing that. And I'm just like, dude. So basically just misleading people. Facts. Yep, pretty much. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm so tired of that shit. And that's why I'm like, I'm, you know, I, I mean, again, you know, uh, yeah, we're in a bear market. Sucks, whatever. I'm kind of happy because I feel like it will hopefully purge a nice amount of those projects that are doing crazy shit like that. Because it's just like that's like how I don't I I don't know maybe it's just me how do you sleep at night? Well, uh, they sleep comfortably with uh, probably very big beds. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Super big beds, mad fiat from the crypto they cashed out and exit. Yeah, man, these guys are buying Lambos and stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I can't remember some guy. Uh, what coin was it? I was I was, I was reading something. Um, there was a fight between the guy and some founders or investors. The courts end up ordering him to basically liquidate every single one of his assets in real life. Um, so they seized the Lamborghini um, and some other stuff too. Uh, but it wouldn't have been enough to yeah, pay the bill. That's crazy. And uh, only this week, um, it's come out that Superbloom, I don't know if you're familiar with Superbloom. Oh, yes. Super, I literally just heard about that. Uh, yeah, I, matter of fact, I heard about that on your... substantial in the US. Yeah, I, I put it on my, my, my channel. They, I mean, they, they had substantial roots into the US and they did a bit of marketing here. I stayed away from it because uh, I interviewed, uh, what's her name, Emmy Chang. And she just seemed like she had no idea what she was using. It was opportunistic entirely. Uh, at the time, I was doing something else. So you can't really be public about that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, they raised money and it just, they, they were supposed to be some kind of ICO syndicate, master syndicate platform thing. I didn't think they'd go anywhere really. Um, and now they've, they've, they say they're dissolving the company. So, uh, I remember when they used to put on these massive, uh, dinners, like top sushi chefs, all this other shit. Oh, wow. So that's where the money went, like, uh, events, marketing, investor outreach. Yeah. Um, so forget, sad, the, really. forget the development then, huh? <laughs> like yeah we'll, yeah we'll get to that but let's let's go ahead and invite these hundred people real quick to have this really lavish dinner you know like the worst case as a director they could have someone someone as a director if i was in that position i would have sold the company to someone else looking to take over with more capital you have some tech you've got some branding like it's worth at least one or two mil in the crypto figures not in the, the non-crypto startup figures but uh Go and sell it on to someone. At least uh, try and give, try and negotiate some kind of conversion for 
your original investors with their ICO or your equity and, and not having some relation to anyone who buys it out. It's the good thing and a responsible thing to do for looking after your community and looking after our community. Definitely. To me, that just makes sense. Um, especially but obviously, they just don't want to have dead weight, so they just dissolve it, right? Right. They just like fucking go and start, go and start a new startup. Yep. Go start something else, and damn, they probably do the same thing again. It's sad. Yeah. I mean, I that's why I said I really hope things change. Like I feel like you know I've had a lot of conversations with individuals like you, and they all everybody kind of said the same thing. Like something needs to change because this shit, the way it's going right now, is not. This is not, this is not, I don't, you know, like, how is it sustainable? You know, everybody just keeps getting burned. I think it's done. As as the article says, I, I don't think we're going to be seeing any more 50, 100 X's anymore. I think you do very well to get a 2X, if that, in current market situation. I mean, our group invested in a couple of Korean projects in the summer, so middle of the bear market, and they did very well. We're lucky to get like two to 600% on two different projects, but uh, it's, that was pretty much it since then. And then we've had a couple of projects list like Phantom, Ergo, Rootstock, all performed uh, subpar. And uh, I, I, something really interesting, I think I've I touched on the article, maybe not, the big exchanges like Binance aren't listing them, even though Binance are investors. So something is definitely up there. I don't know if it's a kind of play to shake out almost all the investors and then for the company or for Binance to buy out all that kind of token liquidity that's available at the bottom and therefore, you know, they control, basically therefore control most of the token supply, right? Circulating supply. And that could be the play, but it's definitely peculiar that I'm seeing the trend of Binance investors invest, the VCs attached to Binance and have a good relationship with Binance also invest, but no listing. Very curious. Very curious. And also I, I stayed away from BitTorrent. I don't trust Tron Foundation and the extremely small amounts for supply uh, was worrying and it leads to a very, very high market cap. Um, so I don't think the project is worth that much. And also, like, BitTorrent doesn't generate revenue. It's like free protocol, right? So for me, it makes no sense. This, Where are you integrating a token? For what? So you can have no ads? Who cares? It's not worth $9 million or whatever they raised. It's this new trend in, in Asia called IEO, Initial Exchange Offering. A couple of them in Korea in the last two, three months have done well with like 40 Xs on exchange. So the exchange does the offering, right? And then you know it's going to get liquidity because it's on that exchange. So it's been like in demand in Korea and from Korean ICO investors for sure. And I think that the, the BitTorrent one was kind of like, let's test the waters with a different market. But I don't think it's going to end well. It's going to end up with this IEO trend, initial exchange offering trend. And I think that ultimately investors will get burned. Yep. Could definitely agree there. I don't, first off, yeah, I've never, I've never really been a fan of Tron. Uh, so I could definitely agree. And, you know, I used to get slashed so much for that shit. And I'm just like, everybody's like, and it's funny, right? Because the first thing anybody points out, and it was, you know, during the time, obviously, when everything was going fucking nuts and everything was, feel like everything was going 50x, the price was swinging high and people had made a lot of money. But I was like, I started looking at the project. I'm like, no. That's special. It's exactly what it was. Now, other than, you know, marketing. a shitload of marketing, that was yeah, phenomenal. Most- Martin, our marketing was dope. Outside of that, I was... I used to see 100-foot billboards it's crazy. of Tron outside <laughs> conferences. 
hundred foot billboards. I was just like, that's insane. Like, uh, exactly. But yeah, I mean, after one chain and after uh, Lux, the Masternode one, the one that Vlux, what they call it, the one with like all those announcements and stuff. I was like, Tron is basically just another play at that. And, exactly. Uh, they actually fired. Who got fired? Not Tron. Uh, the former, some former executive in Utorrent, sorry, BitTorrent, was fired for basically saying that Tron was a massive marketing machine on top of a very thin technical technological layer. So they sacked him. <laughs> now, if that doesn't worry somebody who was invested in Tron, I don't know what is. Like, Dude in the company is telling you like this thing is bullshit. Right, there's a problem. Like it is, and then like, he gets sacked. I mean, he's just—he just told you, like, it's just a marketing play, and he doesn't feel comfortable being involved in it because it's—it's misleading, right? Yeah, exactly. but making some money. So yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. At the end of the day, man, like people are gonna invest, and uh, some people just won't learn a lesson. It's just how human psychology is, right? True. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, you can't definitely. save all of them. You can't, you know, can't give everyone a heads up. Some people just have to learn and. Everyone makes mistakes and some people keep making mistakes. That's true. It sucks. Sucks to be them. But that is that is absolutely true. Some people don't learn. I'm thankfully not one of those persons. And it only takes me one time to touch the hot pot and to get burned. And <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, nope, I'm good. And most of the time, I'm not even the one touching the hot pot. I watch somebody else touch it. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to learn from that person. And I'm going to take your word for it because I don't want that fucking burn mark. Oh my! So you're spectating, yeah? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I spect. You know, what I'm and that's why I'm saying I love, I love having individuals like, you know, having conversations with individuals like you, like from you. We're sitting here, and we, you know, we've been talking for almost two hours now. Man, you are a very knowledgeable individual in a lot of different things, and I love, I love having conversations like that because a lot of things you were saying, taking mental notes, taking physical notes, and things to go look and search and read about and gain more information. You know, information. It's like you can never learn everything in crypto and blockchain. It's fucking impossible. You can never learn. It's too big. No. Um, nope. So it's it's about the networking community around you, which is important. 100% agree. And that's why, again, you know, that's why I value these these conversations and stuff like that, man. Um, so any any uh, any idea where you think 2019 is headed? What do you think is going to what do you think is going to be in for this year? I think the, the regulation will clear up, especially around the compliance. KYC AML will come into force. Uh, uh, I think Bitcoin will head below 3K slowly, especially if um, these family offices I know are planning on dumping market selling on exchanges because they want to get it. They want to make it lower. I have no idea about this grand strategy, but I know liquidation is happening. So I think once we maybe break up about down three, somewhere between three, 1.5, hopefully not 750 or under 1,000, uh, we just reached that ultimate low. Oh, it just shakes everyone out. And from there, we touch a bottom for a brief moment. And uh, that's it. It's a, it's a recharge point for many people to buy back in and grab that, grab that stuff cheap. Because I know I will, for sure. I, at, at the time of the bull run in, the, in 2017, I was actually setting up a second phase of a mining farm. So I wasn't that occupied with the price of Bitcoin. I had a lot of Ethereum, but... Personally, I, I, I missed out on Bitcoin. I thought, eh, I really can't do that much of a multiplier compared to something like ETH, uh, which you could say is true. Ultimately, Bitcoin is superior. So I should have had a, a good stake in that, but didn't. But this time around, I won't make that mistake. I'll try and make sure I at least hold something from it. But uh, yeah, really, I think 
2019, maybe uh, towards the end of the year, we start to kind of break out of a, a downtrend, not in a really substantial way, but maybe like three, four K, five, five K max end of the year. And then into mid 2020, you have the halvening and then maybe six months after the halvening. So end of the year, we start to see the volume picking up again. You start to see interest. And then sometime beginning 2021, I know this is really long for some people, but it's how it is. But sometime around 2021, we start to really have a parabolic curve, like in a big way, especially because a lot of coins will have been lost. Exchange of hands happening. You have funds accumulating in like in mass. They can't buy enough. They're doing, they're doing, funds are doing services like OTC, but they're keeping their revenue in Bitcoin. So it's going to be like this polarization between the, the top holders. So like top thousand wallets own most of the supply. And then you've got like the million other wallets that own like 1% of the supply, like just in the real world, right? Where the top 50 people own most of the world's GDP. So most of the world's like value, like 75%, right? I think it's like a hundred people in the real world would own 75% of all money on the planet. That's that's something like that, a rough, rough figure. So it's the same thing will happen in crypto to those who invest, stay in the space, accumulate. The exact same thing will happen. If you make yourself someone who has a Bitcoin, you will be in that 1% eventually. You will be. Yeah, I think uh, next time around, there's no stopping at 20K. I reckon no, 35K, 40K. Uh, range depending on how healthy the market is, do institutions come in, how are STOs uh, received and uh, do they have any relation to ETH or Bitcoin? Maybe not. But really, there's got to be some major adoption happening on the sec- second layer. And these dApps, dApps, last, last time around, not profitable, right? No users. But in 2021, man, the tech should have come some way in developing to be you know, actually used. Um, and maybe next time around, the whole ICO thing is about actually investing in these killer dApps, you know, the term killer dApps, but really like the next best games or I don't know, on these dApps or something, you know. So those would be the companies to look out for, I think. I definitely agree with the fact that I feel like the market's going that way. I hope that it goes that way. Uh, when I think about crypto, I think about long-term growth and I think about sustainability in from a cryptocurrency perspective and a blockchain perspective. I want that to I, hopefully flow in unison. So um, I really hope there is a lot more use cases that come along that are real world uses that people actually fucking use. And they're not, you know, it's not like, oh, okay, we have this idea and, and it's just great, you know, buy into this ICO or SDO, whatever the case. And, you know, hopefully something comes from it. Hopefully we actually see things being produced. And then on top of that, actually being used. And then in response to that, we see a nice fluctuation of, of of prices when it comes to the you know the trading aspect and things like that. But again, you know, I tell people like, hey, I'm prepared to stay in this bear market for a minute. And again, the like you said earlier, the downside to that is that the longer it takes to come out of this bear market, you know, or to to hit the bottom of the bear market, the longer it can take to uh really start to get to where we were previously. But I mean, I'm cool with that if that means less bullshit, more development, more real stuff, I'm fine with that. Because my my play at the end of the day is the long term anyway. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, if a bull market wants to come sooner than that, I mean, I'll make some money off of it. But I'd rather it it stay healthy and stay long long term versus just making a quick buck. And I mean, at at, at the end of the day, if you're well-knowledge in cryptocurrency and blockchain, there's a lot of different ways to make money. So 
you know, you, you'll figure it out one way or another. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. I got to ask you one. Especially you. After all of this conversation we've had, all of the awesome stuff you've talked about, I got to ask you the same question I ask every guest that comes on this show. What mark do you want to leave on the blockchain and cryptocurrency world? Uh, that's a really good question. I am trying to find some way I can bridge what I used to do in politics and activism to this space because uh, it's something that I it's important to carry in that you should never forget where you came from, right? Uh, maybe some people don't care, but for me, it's important to always just, it's always rooted in the back of my mind. I don't let it anchor me down. So I want to use the tech somehow to benefit a group in society in real world. And um, what I'm thinking about starting is this app, app using blockchain, which basically will help. Um, this is just the practical things. I'm very pragmatic. But an app that basically organizes around uh, homelessness and homelessness like charity outreach can use this app where it uses proof of location and a few other things to incentivize ordinary people to report where they see homeless people in the street using a live map, right? Now, this data is triaged and used by these organizers who have great will, great reputation. They do not touch NGOs. They do not touch government. They have zero government funding. They're completely people, community-driven, led and organized. They have no ties. They do not even handle cash because they're against it, right? But they're doing all this outreach and they're managing to, you know, borrow commercial kitchens in London, uh, cook the food, you know, serve like a couple thousand people a week off of tables and just people pitching in, right? I want to build this app so that they know where people are and then you as a user can report, okay, did you talk to this person, yes or no? If you spoke to them, uh, did you? Did they need medical assistance? Do they need clothing? Some of them have pets and there's a group in, in London called Streets Vets. So maybe if they need the dog needs or whatever pet has real medical problems, that information is recorded, sent to people who are trusted to keep this data safe and then used to go out. Instead of like, a, we used to drive this mobile f- I converted this old rusty van into a food kitchen, right? And I used to drive it with my friend, John, who runs a street kitchen in London. And we used to have to drive around Waterloo, which is in like South London, all night just to try and find people. And then we couldn't park properly because it's all like double yellows, which means you can't stop. So if we have that data, we know where that person is. We can just go directly to them. And what you get as a user, there'll be zero ICO, but you'll be getting a token which you can redeem at like a place... Maybe some women or men will be familiar with something called Lush Cosmetics. Lush are very environmentally friendly. And then you can go and redeem that for like, I don't know, some soap or something. <laughs> you know, whatever you do with the token is up to you, right? But you'll be able to redeem it, but not in a monetary way. So you want to eliminate any financial gain from it. You can redeem it for some kind of physical good. So I would like to do that by the end of this year because I've come some way away from what I used to do. And I used to be really heavily involved in this stuff, uh, like a grassroots, like political movement. So if I can develop this out, I'll be pretty happy knowing that at least blockchain has touched uh, something which actually matters. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> like, that's wow. I'm not even going to say if you do that. When <laughs> you do that, definitely have. Yeah. It's a matter of when. Uh, yeah, it's, the, it's the a matter of. The part at the moment is developers. And because. I don't have a developer background. 
it's knowing who to trust, how to get it built. Like I'm willing to personally make sure that this is funded and gets off the ground. It's in the back of my mind constantly, but yeah, I really lack trust in developers or having a connection. So I know, I know I'll find some, a team or company this year to do it and I'll make sure that this thing gets built. I actually had a similar project running called Solidarity Block, which was uh, an open source Monero miner taken from uh, the Bronx Freedom Fund, which basically is a, a grassroots like initiative in the Bronx, right? And they crowd crowd mined Monero, which would fund uh, bail costs to people who are arrested, rightfully or wrongly, we don't know. But it just meant that that person had some opportunity to have legal representation. And they did very well in the Bronx, but we didn't manage to get that up and running here quick enough because uh, while it was open source, we didn't have the, the documentation to, to get it up and running because the Bronx Freedom Fund were, were busy. Uh, they call it Bell Block in the Bronx, if you want to check it out. Bell Block, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. I'll be really happy, man, if end of this year, I can get that done. I will be like fully satisfied as a human being. Wow, that'll be I'll be fully satisfied if uh, if you get that out, man. That's see, see, that's what I'm saying. Like stuff like that is what I want to see. Like that's that stuff like that makes me excited. That's why I love crypto. That's why I love blockchain. You know, people that are taking it serious and not just trying to make a quick buck, but are really trying to implement things that have the best of both worlds. Um, meaning, you know, obviously uh, money can be made. You know, lives can be changed at the same time in ways that weren't possible probably before blockchain so it's cool super kudos to you for that man i'm telling well, you i haven't like, built it yet so uh, i don't deserve anything just yet uh, yeah. but uh <laughs> but um, yeah if you're a developer listening to this uh hit me up man i'm open i'm open to making sure this gets done yeah without a doubt matter of fact why don't you go ahead and tell everybody uh again everybody i'm gonna have links to everything he's talking about and ways to contact him in the show notes so you'll be able to it'll be as simple as clicking the link to go into them. But uh, why don't you go ahead and just tell people uh, just quick ways they can reach out to you. Um, so my Telegram handle is at crypto and then Arnie, one word, A-R-N-I-E. Um, and then you can also email me at Arnie at crypto laboratory.co.uk, one word. That's the best way to contact me. And uh, I do have OCD around messages. So I'll make sure I'll, I'll try and contact you. Cool, cool. Yeah, I definitely appreciate it, man. Again, everybody, I'm definitely going to make sure I have all this information. Um, I'm telling you, if you have, if you have not read the article he wrote, it's called The Death of the ICO Market. Where next for 2019? Read it. I read it worth every word, literally. Um, amazing article, man. And then uh, also his Telegram group, I joined that. Uh, I'm in there. I've scrolled through. I've looked at the information. You give solid you give solid information, period. So um, to anybody that's listening, I, I definitely encourage you to go check that out. And don't take my word for it. Look at it yourself. But I'm pretty sure you're going to be impressed when you see see uh, what Arnie's doing. So, <laughs> so um, again, man, I appreciate you taking the time out and talking. Yo, this is the longest podcast I've done to date. And this was, this was fucking, this was dope, man. This is so awesome. Almost two hours. Yeah, I mean, that, for me, I, I tend to have really long ones. So I don't know. Why people is telling me how oh, your, your AMAs and interviews are really long. I'm like, well, there's a lot to talk about. You're inter- interviewing a project and you're watching like uh, another influencer just get it done in 45 minutes. You're making an investment decision True. based on a 45 minute conversation to yep. me yeah. is, in- is insane. Yep. Yep. And I agree with that. And it's funny. Two things. So, yeah, are while, while the others, yeah, the others can focus on like just short summaries. My stuff is always in depth. 
See, and I like that. That's literally what I prefer. And that's why I say when I do my podcast, I do not, you know, I'll say like, oh, you know, I ask the person, what do you want to do? 30 minutes, 45 minutes, uh, 60 minutes, things like that. Right. But truly what I tell them in my mind, at least, is that this can go as long as we want it to, because I want it to be real. I want it to be authentic. If the conversation doesn't sound like it should stop within 45 minutes, then by all means, and to me, the, the, the podcasts that I've done that are the longer winded ones, the ones that are an hour plus to me always have so much, so many nuggets, so much great information in it. And I'm like, you dropped so many nuggets. I mean, it was, it was crazy. So that's what I'm like. And I'm, you know, and that's outside and outside of what you said in the article talking about things outside of that, you know, dude, you know how much stuff I'm at to research because of you. <laughs> Not enough time to end the data, right? Uh, I've got some other articles coming up on what I learned uh, in a year of looking at STOs, which will be a good primer. Yeah, definitely. I want to before before people start to throw money at this thing. Hey, like think about it. But um, do, why don't you give your details and uh, to my viewers about where they can contact you? Because um, you're not on YouTube, and uh, you know I've only just come across your podcast, but it's definitely something that's really awesome so where can people contact you so i'm a little bit of everywhere so um i my podcast has a youtube channel and it is just you know the bullpen podcast so you can put that there i'll make sure i drop links for all that in there i'm literally on twitter you can find me it's at one crypto bully and that's me personally and then the podcast is at one bullpen podcast so you can find me on there facebook literally the exact same thing I'm literally uh, Instagram, exact same thing. I'm literally a little bit everywhere. Not only that, and then of course, you know, the podcast itself, I'm streamed on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. I know I'm forgetting one. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Um, oh, and Spotify, as well as decentralized platforms as well. I'm on DTube, I'm on Steam It, I'm on Tune, and I'm on Music Coin. Man, that's a lot of platforms. Yeah, it's a lot of platforms. <laughs> I feel like it was important, man, because I'm like, you know, I want to put I this out. I find it hard to maintain. Twitter and anything beyond that. It's just so much time. It is. It's it's I'm not gonna lie, it's difficult. Um and it's it is one of those things, and it's like, you know, you realize there's a little bit of everybody everywhere. And you know, I'm I'm working on getting a a, a, a solid team in place to really help me with that because that I mean it is like they're they're literally different worlds. Facebook and Twitter are two different worlds. And it's insane. Oh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. So that's where I do a lot of my business, actually. I'm I'm mainly on LinkedIn and um, um, Twitter. So, yeah, that's where they can find me. I will be there. So, yeah, man, again, appreciate you coming onto the podcast, dropping all the nuggets. Great conversation. And again, literally, you are welcome back on here whenever you want. I'd love to come back on in a, some, some time from now, man, and we can have a catch up and see how things have gone on for sure. Definitely. I'm with it. I'm with it. All right. All right, man. Well, again, take it easy. Um, I'm dropping all your links for everybody to catch up. I'm telling you, everybody, go, go check this guy out. No joke. Crypto Arnie is, is, is dope. <laughs> so, Peace. All right. We'd like to thank everyone for your support here at the Bullpen Podcast all season long and look forward to having you at the next episode. We'd also like to give a special thanks to the team behind the scenes that make this show possible. Today's show notes can be found on our website at thebullpenpodcast.io forward slash postshow stats. Also, don't forget to like and retweet us at one bullpen podcast. That's the number one bullpen podcast. 
and to watch Linden do some exciting and probably some weird things too, tune into the Snapchat at the Crypto Bully. That's at the Crypto Bully. It's been a pleasure, and see you at the next show. Good night, everyone.